1: All right. What's up, guys? It's your man, Tony Levitt, coming here to you live-ish, sort of. You know, that's how podcasts work. Coming to you live-ish with the 24-7 Sports College Basketball Show, as always, with college basketball's assist king, Jerry Meyer. Jerry, I came to work this morning ready and amped to do today's college basketball show, and I opened my computer and had a very disturbing email sitting at the top of my inbox. You ready for this? Uh, yeah. It- the subject line was, March Madness without fans? And I was like, no. And I opened it up and, and saw some disturbing, I mean, you know, disturbing, you know, relatively speaking, uh, news that there is there is a concern that the NCAA might consider conference tournaments and the, even the NCAA tournament without fans uh, due to fears of the coronavirus uh also known as COVID-19. So I looked into it. it. looks like yesterday afternoon, Greg Johnson, the NCAA's Associate Director of Communications, told the Greenville News that, quote, in regards to coronavirus, the NCAA Sports Science Institute, that's a mouthful, sent two memos recently to NCAA members directing schools and conference Offices, the center for disease control and prevention resources on the issue. Otherwise, NCAA staff continues to prepare for all NCAA winter and spring championships, but we are keenly aware of blah, blah, blah. We are aware that this is a thing, but we're not going to we're not going to do anything. Two hours later, I see the NCAA announced that a COVID-19 advisory panel of leading medical, public health, and epidemiology experts from their respective fields of study and NCAA member schools to guide its response to the outbreak of the coronavirus disease. Donald Remy, the NCAA's CEO, I'm almost done, said, the NCAA will make decisions that are first and foremost reflective of medical best practices and keeps the health and safety of student athletes, administrators, and fans as the number one priority. And Jerry, if that's the case... You know, across the world, the number one uh, way to combat COVID-19 thus far has been uh, keeping people away from each other. And you saw just today over in Italy, uh, fans from Milan were not allowed to a major uh, a soccer game. Soccer game. Ooh, there goes my voice. A major soccer game. Uh, you know, for fear of spreading the disease. So I ask you, after all that mouthful and all that information, what would it be like if the NCAA tournament didn't have any fans in the stands while they played the games? Well,
0: from a player per- uh, perspective? Yeah, from whatever perspective, well, you know, from I mean, fan or watching. It would be like, I guess, playing the scrimmage. <laughs> it would take away some of the energy and the luster. But, you know, it would be less fun for the players, I would imagine. I mean, I think most people, most players like to have a crowd out there. They like to perform in front of people. But I really don't know how it would affect the game necessarily. You know, being games are on neutral court i guess teams that have a better fan base or i don't know that thrive on fan energy obviously it wouldn't help them <clears throat> but um interesting question I, to me i think it's weirdest to like watch it on television yeah like when i've had to watch soccer games where you know they banned the the fans that's just kind of weird but i really liked it because i could hear the communication from the players so there might might be an upside for the tv viewers if this were to happen uh, you would you definitely can hear the players
1: so that was very uh, to me that's a very interesting aspect the other the other thing I was wondering about you and I've talked uh, in prior episodes about uh, the difference in sight lines between small gyms and big gyms mm-hmm. and do you think do you think there'd be a difference in the sight line wh- without people in the stands I don't
0: think so I mean the, play- the teams are used to practicing with no one in the stands
1: all right so well we don't know. We don't know what's going to happen uh, with that, and, and we hope and pray that uh, people will find uh, a way to contain this uh, this disease or this virus uh, uh, quickly, and hopefully it, it will um, be of minimal impact across the country, but you know, f- for the purposes of this podcast uh, on the NCAA and conference tournaments. Jerry, we've got a lot to get into. We promised our listeners to get into Syracuse because we didn't have time last week. We've got, like, Every good team lost since we last talk. And, you know, we've got to talk about who's going to win conference championships. So, oh, and of course, ask Jerry. We've got a number of questions for you, a number of things we're going to need to get into. So I, I don't want to hold this up too much. Let's start with all the big losses since we last spoke. I'm just going to go by day. Saturday. Baylor lost to TCU, and for what it's worth, also nearly blew it against Texas Tech the other night. Duke lost to Virginia Saturday night. Maryland embarrassed itself at home against Michigan State and, again, uh, at Rutgers. So, And for them, that's three losses in four. Florida State lost to Clemson at Little John Pavilion, and I'm all about that. You remember we talked about that last week. And on the last one, Villanova lost to Providence, so that's just Saturday. Then, Sunday, our Creighton Blue Jays, the team we talk about all these weeks, Blown out by St. John's. And then just last night, whew, that's a mouthful. Kentucky lost to Tennessee despite having a 17 point lead early in the second half. So, Jerry, you have your pick of the litter. Which of these games would you like to talk about? Ideally, one that you think, you know, it changes the way you think about a team.
0: Uh, not, <clears throat> I don't know that anything's changed. You know, teams lose. Um, I did watch the Kentucky game closely last night. Mm-hmm. And. Uh, yeah, that was a kind of a debacle. They had that game so in, under control. I, I was really disappointed in Kentucky's discipline on defense. They, they have guys running around all over the place trying to make, you know, the hero play, coming to trap when they shouldn't, over-rotating, um, not sticking to shooters, you know, Johnny Juzang playing in the gap. Watching a guy dribble who's not even that good a driver and was contained, and you know, just so many, so many undisciplined mistakes on defense. And they have so much potential defensively. It's like they're out, almost out hustling in a way what my dad would refer to as false hustle. Um, you know, just because you're was he? Wait, he had a great line. Um, a rabid dog in a meat a meat a meat packing plant only gets a bullet in the head. <laughs> you know. You have to be intelligent. You have to be smart. Running around and playing hard and being maniacal uh, can often hurt you. So I was disappointed in that. From Kentucky, really, really impressed with Fulkerson for Tennessee, John Fulkerson. I thought he was the best player on the court, and I thought he brought a dominating presence and a toughness. I mean, he's getting rebounds, taking some physical shots, and staying in there. So those those are some thoughts on that game.
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I had a feeling you'd want to give some thoughts on this game, so I went and saw what Coach Cal said after the game. Yeah, what did he say? Yeah, so he I said, "I do not know. I did he, not follow he, a up." Great, on that. great quote. He said, "Very simple. We got manhandled. I got manhandled. This is one that I know I got to watch the tape." And I just feel like, it, oh, you know, for all, sure, he, all, he needs all all to watch the tape.
0: I watched the game twice.
1: <laughs> I was like, "How
0: did this happen?" And I wanted to see if Kentucky ran the high pick and roll in the middle of the court much. And what I noticed, at least in the first half, a lot of times they were in transition. They didn't have that many half-court sets, but they weren't running it as much as usual. And maybe part of the reason is Fulkerson because what I noticed, uh, Tennessee was not switching the screen. So a lot of teams will switch that. So then you got the big man rolling down the pike or pipe with a little guy on him. Tennessee did a really good job defending that play. Uh, and there were other reasons. But, yeah, I, I literally went through that game twice just to try to get a grasp of it. Yeah, I guess Calipari feels the same way.
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, it, was, it, it was a real mess. It was an absolute mess. Uh, the
0: de- lack of discipline on defense, I'm sure. Oh, my gosh, I can't imagine <clears throat> their film session. Uh, today, it's probably not going to be a fun experience for the players. No, <laughs> there's a lot of, like a lot of mistakes, and pretty much, uh, you know, it seemed like about everyone on the team was making them.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it was it was uh, not a good showing. Uh, lucky for lucky for Kentucky, they had already locked up the conference. And, uh, you know, they yeah. can say, okay. Well, unlucky for them, they better start playing better. <laughs> well, the nice, thing, the nice thing is that there, there is no tangible loss. You know, I, I don't believe in they got it, you know, when people say, oh, they got it out of their system, but at least it gives Coach Cowan I don't agree on that either.
0: You, what, what happens is you, you stink, you lose, and you get serious, and you get a sense of urgency. So in this indirect way, it might be good to lose a game if you're not playing well, if you deserve to lose. So what happens to a team, yeah, we got embarrassed. Uh, we lost at home to Tennessee, gave up a huge lead. There's a sense of urgency at practice the next day. Yeah, Coach Cowell's watching more film. It's getting a lot more serious, and teams that learn the lesson and then you know get the reps in practice and quit making the mistakes, then that's when a loss is good for you. But mm-hmm. in and of itself, I agree with you. Just because you, I don't believe in superstition or magic or – you know, like it's unlucky to be undefeated. Dude, everyone wants to be undefeated. If you deserve to get a loss, you need to get that loss. What hurts teams is when they, luck, quote, luck out and win without playing sound fundamental basketball and playing to their identity, then they lose later because it, comes, it catches up on them. They don't learn
1: their lessons. Mm-hmm. I feel very similarly about the Creighton game on, on Sunday. Uh, when you look at that, they, they got blown out by 20. But when you think about it, I don't, you know, I don't think there were any bad habits. And at the end of the day, when you look at that game, lost by. 20 and they were out yeah, of the whole see, game yeah, I didn't see the game they shot four for 27 from three Creighton's one of the best three-point shooting teams mm. in the country yeah you're that helps if, you lose <laughs> if, if, if they, they are not gonna have a four for 27 and, and and that's the kind of thing where as long as they don't you know take it to heart develop bad habits like you were just saying I don't think there's much well to or you that. you have bad habits I,
0: I mean you know like like Kentucky's undis- undisciplined play on defense you know that's what I mean by like bad habit I, you know
1: anyway and the last the last thing on these games, uh, you know, when at the beginning when you mentioned Kentucky, they were kind of trapping when there didn't need to be a trap and kind of moving around frantically like that. I, I kind of had a sense of that same kind of energy from Baylor the past few, couple games. I saw, you know, they they went to overtime on Monday night. They lost against TCU. It, it, is, is there some sort of like unraveling happening here? Because we've been talking about them as potentially, you know, a, a top two team in the country for yeah, I, don't months. I don't
0: know I don't know I haven't watched much of them since the K- Kansas game I watched a little bit you know I'm aware of what's happened uh, with their scores I, I don't know I mean I don't want to read too much into it you, it's you're going to lose some games you know when's the last time we had an undefeated team you know you, it's a, it's a reality you're going to lose and everyone's going to panic when you do it I look more like, how is the team playing? So you, you bring up a good point. I would doubt that Baylor all of a sudden fell apart after that Kansas game.
1: You know? No, I feel like um, it was the, the TCU but I game think, itself. Well,
0: I think in that game, teams fall apart. What happens, perhaps, I didn't see it, but let's take Kentucky because I watched that twice last night. Um, when teams maybe feel it sort of slipping away from them, guys try to do too much on their own which I think Kentucky players are doing defensively, or you get rattled in your mind and you slip up and you're in the wrong position. You know, you're not on that free-flowing edge where you're in the moment, you know, competing. You start having second thoughts. You start thinking about what you're doing or you have freezing up. Typically, to me, that is a phenomena that that specific game induces, if that makes sense. You know, I... Yeah, so I... I I'm, I'm not overreacting to any of this stuff. But in the sense of, oh, my gosh, you know, we we lost run raveling. When you lose, you lose for a reason. And that, that's the point I'd really like to make. A lot of fans sometimes think, oh, man, we just, well, we just weren't hot or whatever. Well, a lot of times you're not hot because of the other team, <laughs> their defense. Or you're not running your stuff correctly or the wrong guys are shooting. Blah, 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 blah. There's reasons. You know, every once in a while you just have one of those bad shooting nights. But typically there's a reason and um, the good teams figure out what they're not doing well and they, uh, they correct it. The, the bad teams, oh, we just had a bad night, you mm-hmm. know, and they, they don't heighten their senses <laughs> and correct their issues because there is a reason you win or you lose.
1: Well, it's, it's that time of year for there to be losses, you know? Like now, now well, it's, it's going to happen. <laughs> exactly, and, but it also, like, good teams are going to be playing meaningful games, uh, and I think we take one loss a lot more seriously as it comes down the pike and we were looking at sure. standings and maybe, you know, quality mm-hmm. teams are playing against each other. So it's you know, a, And
0: it's understandable, you know, and it, it is important because the point is you, you lost right before the tournament. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So we're, it's all about what are we playing like, what, what's our energy on our team, what's our execution like going into the tournament. So the closer to the tournament you lose, <laughs> you're you got like well you don't have a whole lot of time here.
1: Well, on the opposite end of the spectrum, we have you know these this is a small sample size, right? We talk about that. In a large sample size, we've got a, a, a bizarre situation in Syracuse. Now, Jerry, when, when I say Syracuse basketball, what comes to mind for you?
0: Uh, two three zone, Bayheim. Uh, oh my gosh, I just slipped on his name. Who who is the fat point guard? <laughs> back in the day Uh, you're probably too young that's too uh, i was about to yeah William and Derek coleman what was uh, his freaking name man he had the spin move
1: jerry mcnamara
0: no 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 that's the that's the the beginning of the big east yeah it'll come to my head but um
1: that's what i think of carrier dome orange yeah sure yeah i also just think of like quality basketball you know and well, they used to be good. I- exactly. And that is just not they what... They used to have better players. <laughs> that's, that's that's just not what's happening right now at Syracuse. And so I bring this up because uh, last week, uh, Syracuse's athletic director uh, did an interview with Syracuse.com uh, where I found out that if Syracuse misses the NCAA tournament, like which basically means as long as they don't win the ACC tournament, uh, it'll be the third time in six years that Syracuse won't be a participant, which... Will have been the first time since Jim Beheim took over the program in 1976, and um, you look at that. You look at the fact that their NCAA violations have led to a suspension of Coach Beheim in recent years and a self-imposed postseason ban in 2015. Think, things have not been quite uh, the same for Syracuse in this past decade, um, and and I wonder after reading this, do you think that like? A couple lucky NCAA tournament runs, and I feel like it's fair to call them lucky NCAA tournament runs. Is that is that protecting Jim Beheim uh, from what otherwise would have been like uh, scrutiny over the fact that he's not recruiting at a high level? He's certainly not coaching at a high level. What what like what's your take on that? Because I, I I felt like I didn't quite understand the the ins and outs here.
0: Um. Well, I th- I do think he's getting scrutinized. You know, that's why there's that article. I think his job is pretty – he has a long leash as far as getting fired because he's been there forever, hasn't he? Yeah. <laughs> you know, and he's had success. And so if you've built up goodwill, then uh, when, when you start slipping, you get a, lo- a little longer leash. You know, you, you, you're you not getting you're not on the hot seat as quickly. So, I mean, that's what I think. They're not recruiting at a high left level. You're playing the 2-3 zone with Buddy Bayheim and – um uh, the other little guard, oh, my God, I'm forgetting his name now, um, Gerard. And that's not the typical athleticism at the top of the 2-3 that made the 2-3 so potent. So just o- over the board, not as good teams. Uh, one other just thought, I don't know if this exactly fits into what you're talking about, but it was a thought I had when I you shared mm-hmm. the article with me. I think teams are doing a better job attacking the 2-3 zone as well. I thought there was a time period where the 2-3 was just mystifying to everyone. And, you know, I think more teams are running hybrid-type defenses, sort of, you know, we've covered that a little bit on the podcast, um, match-up-oriented stuff. I think there's more zone looks out there. I think teams are better prepared uh, now over time to play against Syracuse and are figuring some stuff out and so that's not helped with the recruiting and then I thought it was interesting the athletic director said with players are spread out more now have that, that was way. my other thought and at first I thought that made sense because it makes sense in the fact that yeah maybe it's harder to recruit at Syracuse now because a guy that you thought was well like Isaiah Stewart goes to Washington you know grew up right by Syracuse Uh, you, you know, 20 years ago, 10 years ago, that probably would have never happened. And they're, they are getting spread out. But the thing is, and I thought about this this morning, they're getting spread out for everyone. Yeah. Yeah. So Duke's dealing with that. Syracuse is dealing with every single university. So I don't know if I'm going to buy that. I think it comes down to Syracuse doesn't have as good of players as they used to have. And by the way, that guard's name is Dwayne Pearl Washington. Hmm. The, the old heads will know exactly who I'm talking about.
1: They had that spin move. Well, I, the, the other thing about that quote that really didn't sit well with me mm-hmm. was that just as you said, the, the talent is spread outside of Duke, outside of Kentucky, outside of maybe Kansas. The talent is spread for everybody. And so for me, that's where I look to the coach, to coach guys up. And that almost felt like, Wait, wait. So what you're saying is we're in a situation where the one thing that we can rely on to really uh, propel our program forward is the head coach, and yet you're saying that the head coach has a very long leash. And in 2017, we allowed um, you know the guy who we thought Mike Hopkins was going to be the successor to Jim Beheim. We, yeah, we let that's him a go. big factor in this. You know,
0: um, maybe there might be an argument Beheim should have stepped down already. So Hopkins is our coach. I, you could make that argument. I don't know if that's the fact, but I think losing Hopkins as a coach, it looks like it's really hurt the program, you know, cause he was an integral recruiter and I think he did a lot of X and O's. And I think Beheim relied heavily on him.
1: Mhm. Well, I don't know what to make of this. I haven't done uh, an extensive deep dive. We looked, you know, I, I did research for a few hours on this, but it, it just doesn't seem right to me that Syracuse is on the outside looking in regularly right now. It doesn't feel right for college basketball. When you think about uh, NCAA men's college basketball. It doesn't, uh,
0: doesn't feel right that they're in the ACC either. Well, <laughs> there's a lot of things that, that, that don't, things change, but I'm with you. Um, it it is very odd that Syracuse is not
1: a power. Uh, however, however this plays to. out, I, it just it just seems like something's going to have to change, up there in upstate New York. Well, they
0: got to get better. And they got to recruit better. And uh, to me, that's it. They they need better players, and they need to play better. So yeah, whatever that solution is, I don't know.
1: I don't, know, I don't either. It's not, it's not for us to decide. That's, uh, that's for the decision makers in Syracuse. We just like to point stuff out. That's, that's going to do it for the first half. On the other side of the break, we'll have your questions for Jerry an extended Ask Jerry uh, segment. And then we're going to look forward to the games that will decide conference championships this week. Stay tuned. Welcome back to the 24-7 Sports College Basketball Show. Uh, Next week is going to be a very exciting week for us. We are not going to have a regular episode for you on Wednesday. We're going to be checking out the SEC Conference Championship Tournament uh, for you guys on Wednesday and throughout the rest of the weekend. If you're there, look for us. Hit us up on Twitter. We'll see if we can uh, come say hi. And uh, we're going to have some sort of podcast for you Sunday night after the bracket is released and then a couple days later we're going to release the stuff that we recorded for you at the sec tournament so that's that's going to be our updated schedule next week really excited to to share that with you but for now we're on a regular schedule it's wednesday afternoon and we've got questions for jerry jerry are you ready to dispense some wisdom
0: uh i'll give it a shot (laughs) I'll, I'll i'll address the questions best i can
1: all right so first question comes from a guy izzy on twitter izzy asks are there any big commitments coming this week
0: not that I am aware of anything being scheduled. Yeah, you know, I'm looking through like our top guys. There are some uncommitted guys there, but typically once you get to this point, um, unless there's some reason like a birthday or you know mom or dad, like a, a relative passed away on a certain day, you know if there's a, some special date, players will schedule commitments at times uh, because of that. Uh, I, uh, typically, it's going to be after the season. You know, because kids are going into their playoffs. <clears throat> Obviously, the college teams are
1: quite busy right
0: now with on-the-court activities. So I would think it's going to be a little bit, and then we're gonna, we'll have a flurry of activity.
1: And I assume that the, the, the kids who are committing would want to see how the teams perform in the postseason and would want to see who's coming back and leaving the program. Well,
0: typically, if you have not committed yet, you're thinking along those lines. Yeah. You know, it's it's typically guys... It's guys who have the leverage you know like your five star upper four star guys you know they can wait as long as they want so why i've always thought why not wait unless you know for sure you want to go somewhere you know watch it play out right Mm -hmm. now you got the leverage and then there's some players that don't quite have the offers they want or this that or the other but you know we're typically dealing with upper end guys, so
1: yeah, I would, I would think it's going to be a little bit. All right, next question also from Twitter, also a recruiting question. Naddens wants to know if Juwan Howard will he be able to continue his recruiting success beyond 2021 and maybe even compete on the level of Kentucky and Duke.
0: Um, I, I definitely think I, I see no reason to believe. Joan Howard won't continue to have recruiting success. Um, I mean, he's got a lot to sell there himself. Um, you know, someone brought up the point: a lot of these uh, recruits right now, their parents were—they remember Joan Howard. <laughs> you know, like vividly how good a player he was and and what he was like as a player. And um, I, I, you know, I think he's good at what he does. And he's at Michigan, in a gr- great university. I, I would not see any reason for it to go down now will it be at the level of you know the elite like a Duke Kansas Kentucky type thing especially Kentucky and Duke who have been number one and two in the rankings like the past five you know there's a chance I mean and there's part of me that says why not um I mean look at the success Calipari had recruiting when he was at Memphis um you know so I think it could be done uh, it would be difficult. I'm not going to say John Howard's going to have Michigan up there every single year like Duke and Kentucky have been, but um, it's, it's within the realm of possibility.
1: Uh, color, color me skeptical. Cal um, is probably the best recruiter of all time. Would you agree with that? Uh, who Perry? Yeah. Uh, and Duke is Duke. Maybe and so i if i'm not a might be. i don't know coach k has
0: been doing a pretty good job recruiting too you're not Um, wrong and i just like calipari's kind of just known as a recruiter and he's branded that one and done thing and and he very well might be the greatest of all time you know i have not thought of that um so you kind of sprung that on me because sometimes that's just an easy oh yeah um but anyway, I, I'm guessing you're saying you're not gonna, you don't think John Howard is gonna get Michigan up to that level. I,
1: I think he's, I think he's clearly a really good recruiter. He's filled out his staff with really, really good people. He he is at Michigan a really great brand, but I don't think it's fair to say anybody is going to get on uh, that level. Kentucky, Duke, like if if you asked me, like you know name name a program with decent with a decent basketball history a solid coach you know decent recruiting you ask me at some point in the next 10 years are are they going to win a national championship i'm going to say no just because it's so hard to do that yeah, I agree and with i that. think the same about reaching the coach cal coach yeah. k level of recruiting no, that's just me
0: no disagreement here as i said it's Within the realm of possibility, uh, so that's a pretty broad stroke there. Exactly. <laughs> As what are you saying? You're giving me a chance. There's a non-zero <laughs> chance,
1: is what you're saying.
0: No, I'm not saying that. Oh, a non-zero chance. Yeah, yeah, yeah I got gotcha, you. Yeah. I got gotcha. you.
1: Well, let's move. Let's move to the state of Texas, where you know, since basically since uh, since uh, word got out in our office that that you and I spoke ill of the Texas basketball team, Texas is on a roll. They've run off five straight, despite basically only having five healthy guys, and it's it seems like they might just uh, make the tournament and save Shaka Smart's job. So, so our buddy Trey Scott, former host of the podcast, wants to know. Oh if my, you... God. we're answering one of his questions. Oh yes, we are. <laughs> okay. He wants to know if you can take us inside the locker room in Texas because, like, yeah, you know, when you're down to that many, that few guys, I should say, and you're awesome. running off this kind of thing. I mean, what's it like? What you know, the, the energy must be amazing. Yeah
0: well yeah i have some thoughts but let's start with directly addressing his question and that's a very good question trey good good work on that one it's provocative you know what's it like in the locker room um can't believe you came up with the texas question and and, and it's specific um i had that experience in high school in baseball uh sophomore year uh, we only played in a very good high school baseball program and like the previous two years we we were super talented i mean a bunch when i was an underclassman bunch of older guys going to play in college even had a guy or two that you know did the minor league thing no one made it to the majors but we had some upsets we got upset um in the semis one year it was kind of tragic anywho um so this this year our coach cut a bunch of upperclassmen. Didn't like their attitudes, effort, that type deal. We only had 13 players on a baseball team. You know, obviously, you got nine up there. So that's wow. not a big team. And we were all pretty much underclassmen. I was a sophomore. Our, be- you know, So we were young, and we only had 13. But there's a certain power and magic to that. When you whittle the numbers down... And it's part of why the coach did it. He didn't want to deal with those other guys because he thought we were, you know, so the whole deal, the younger guys are better than the older guys. They're not going to be able to deal with it. It's going to tear the team up. Uh, Basketball-wise, um, I've never been down to six, um, but I'm sure there's just a tremendous energy. Uh, and, and and there's us-against-the-world type feeling. Um, it's more personal. I mean, you're dealing with six individuals, you know, um, so it, it can be a magical, great feeling in that locker room. My dad always had a phrase, um, addition by subtraction. And that can play out in different ways. He used it a lot when a player wanted to quit. And if a player quit, his thing was You mentioned if, that was Georgetown. Yeah, if, the, the, if the guy doesn't want to be there, then why do we want him there? <laughs> you know, so when a guy is in a position where he feels the need to quit, he probably did need to quit. You know, it's probably in his benefit and the team's a lot of times. But he's probably not helping the team. You get what I'm saying? So uh, sometimes I can help. Like, when you get a guy injured, obviously that's out of that player's control. But, you know, players step up, take on responsibility, and you can get an energy with the team, a positive chemistry, uh, when you'd have some adversity and when the numbers get lower.
1: I just, I just wonder, like – how tired they must be at the end of these games. Uh, it's,
0: it, man, they get all those TV timeouts. I, I don't think it's that hard. I mean, most teams don't press. I mean, I think the games physically physical. you get worn down on, but I, I've always thought depth was overrated when it came to conditioning. But well, The problem is yeah, that's like just my opinion. The sweet spot is
1: like a, a seven-man rotation, don't you think?
0: I like a seven to eight, yeah, personally. <clears throat> um, beyond eight, not really, unless you're just playing like a – um, which was the style I actually played in college, but most people know that it was small college. But for an example, 40 Minutes of Hell that Arkansas played under Nolan Richardson, they need numbers. And players are fine with that because they're playing so hard. You can't do that with six players. Then they're going to get tired. But the way most people are playing pack line defense, you're getting a TV timeout every four minutes. Come on now. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> You know, you you can do it, man. And um, I, I, the conditioning aspect. But you're worried about foul trouble. And then obviously, if you have a guy that's not performing, it's, it is nice to have someone on the bench. You can say, you know, or he's screwing up on defense, or you know, not executing stuff. You, you know, the bench is the best teacher, and not the coach speaking to a player typically, not yelling. Like I think we're getting into our next question. But that's a tease, you, everybody. You put, that's a tease. Yeah, you put unbeknownst to the listeners but if you put a player on the bench if he's got anything to him that's a that's the biggest motivator he wants to be out there playing well it's tough to do with six players <laughs> you know you can't be th- you can't be teaching lessons with the bench a whole lot
1: no you no, there there's there's no room for that when when you have six guys one 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 uh question. Uh, about coaching from a guy named Benson on Twitter. Benson has a player, I'm, I'm gonna slightly amend his question, Uh, He says he needs coaching help. He's got a kid who's an inconsistent scorer, going for 19 on one night and five the next. And he wants to know how he can coach this kid into consistency. And obviously, he didn't tell you what position he played. He didn't tell you if in the games when the kid is scoring five points, he's rebounding the hell out of the ball or if he's passing the ball. But but I'm going to ask you more broadly, what are things you can do as a coach to engender consistency? um, What kind of drills or practice things? Because I imagine that's when you would do it. Well, I mean,
0: I think the better... The better practice coach you are, um, like the, the better drills that you're running as far as and what would make a drill good to me is does it fit, is it a part of the whole? You know, does the drill fit into the holistic system of what you're doing? Um, and is it competitive? I'm big on making everything competitive to utilize score and time to create a sense of urgency and a sense of pressure in practice because that's what they're going to be feeling in the game um so you know you have that but I my advice would be to really study the film and look at the quality shots he's getting like what's the nature of the shots on the night he gets 19 what's the nature of the shots when he scores five is he just missing is it because of lack of effort from him you know is he not doing something technically correct um is or his teammates not helping him. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. I, I would focus on shot selection. What type of shots is he getting and to see if you can figure something out? Because, yeah, that's such a general question. I, I would need tons of more specifics. Like, think, that would be one bit of advice.
1: I think the other thing is shot selection in particular after this kid has missed a few shots. I think um, Brad Stevens is really, really good at this. You know, When he, when he sees Jason Tatum especially or, or um, Jalen Brown has missed a few shots, Often Brad will run a play, get them moving towards the basket, where well, get know, him a good shot. Get them, yeah. yeah. That's just a and, good and shot, and it's but fi- not a three, you know. Like yeah. get him towards the rim, draw some contact. Or try to get, get him a to the Exactly. I mean, that's, that's a that strategy. Kind of, Depends on the player. Stuff.
0: Yeah. Um, I, I hear you on that. I, I like that idea. And a lot of players have, you know, just like a play that they thinks for them. Mm-hmm. You know, they're just waiting for the coach to hear that. And I mean, for to hear it from the coach. And then boom you start feeling confident. Like I remember in college when I played, you know, like you know, we had certain plays that I just really liked. Mm-hmm. I felt like I could either score or get an assist. And yeah, you get you get a, you get a good feeling when you hear that called. You're yeah. like let's do this. So Sure. That's a great idea.
1: Yeah. Last question, and I think this this might be the most interesting for me personally. So this one's this one's from the office. A number of people stopped me on on my way as they knew I was coming to uh, coming to prepare for the basketball show. They want to know, you know, last year uh, you really defended Tom Izzo uh, when he was pretty aggressive with uh, Aaron Henry. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. And, yeah. I remember that. And then <laughs> last night, last night uh, Coach Izzo and Cassius Winston got pretty heated in the second half uh-huh. and after the game in the locker room. And so, you know, I, I was hoping you could reiterate your feelings, unless they've changed, about, you know, player and coach really getting into it. Um, because you know coaches um for better or for worse gets a lot of attention for this kind of uh relationship he has with his players
0: mm-hmm. uh, you know it, my whole thing last year with, with Aaron Henry and is it, it was this we, we need to have an understanding of context and i did not first of all i did not see the beef between him and Cassius last night so i don't i don't even have that you know in my mind exactly you know what precipitated it do you know why they even started yelling at each other was it was it kind of a mystery
1: i'm I'm gonna i'm gonna give uh, a little hint Mm -hmm. uh towards how i feel about this situation last night but i'm pretty sure they got mad at each other because they really wanted to win a basketball game
0: well that's always the deal yeah and um I've yelled at many coaches, and I've had many coaches yell at me, and we've yelled at each other at the same time, including my own father. Um, so I've been there, done that, and I don't really have a problem with it because um, typically it is out of competitiveness. And, again, it's the trust and the, and the context, and that's what I brought up there in Henry. I mean, one thing you can look at, after that blow up with Izzo and Henry last year, Henry performed well. You know, he did not go into the tank. I mean, it did not make him worse. The dad seemed to be okay with it. Obviously, I think there was a level of trust. And, and I'm not saying Tom Izzo, like, he, Izzo very well was like, might have felt like, you know, I probably shouldn't have done that. I went over the line some. But, and if there's a guy who can do that, it's Izzo because there is that trust factor and that competence factor, mm-hmm. you know, of what you're doing. Like one coach can get away with more than another coach can. Like the young new coach you can't be getting in play- players' faces screaming at him because it escalates out of control because he doesn't have that trust factor from the players. There's not that family-trusting context that it's happening within. But, yeah, on face, on face value, just hearing what you've said, I mean – it don't mean a thing to me, man. Play, players and coaches yell at each other quite more than people realize.
1: Yeah, I, I mean, I, I disagreed with you last year about Henry just because that got... What'd you disagree with? It, it, got, it got pretty physical last year, and I didn't like that. Physical? And, yeah, he grabbed his jersey, oh, kind of yeah. yanked him into the Oh, huddle. I think it's
0: best not to do that. <laughs> I did but, too. Um, but Lines it was done to me a lot of times and um <laughs> time. it's not done to other players it is a different time but I don't know well, check this check this I quote mean, time changes yeah. check
1: this quote because I
0: think I think this illustrates but what I, mean. I don't know that I had a point that that was okay to grab him no no you I think didn't my say point was yeah people they just look at one thing and oh that's terrible what about the coach who like ignores a kid and doesn't even engage him like what's worse Aaron Henry's doing things wrong on the court, and Izzo's just like, that guy sucks. I I don't feel like dealing with it. Or or does what he did. See, if if he were my kid, I would rather have the coach go over the line a little bit and
1: engage my son than to – you know, whatever. I mean, it's a bit of a false binary, but I have a great quote for you from last night from Izzo. He said, "This is, this is. I mean, it's it's classic." He said, "I was mad." Well, what, at are you saying
0: what I just said is a false binary? Yeah, because there's some this one in the middle. I, I, but there's some. Well, heck, yeah. There's the whole world in the middle. I was. Bringing out an example of two extremes, yeah, and I would lean towards that. I'm not saying Izzo was right making physical contact with the player. I, I don't ever remember justifying that. No, I don't think I am is. justifying. I, what I'm actually, I'm not justifying anything. I got nothing to justify. They can do whatever they want there. That's not not my life. But I was addressing how people react to it, and they overreact to stuff. And I'm trying to point out some counterintuitive thinking. To me, it's not counterintuitive because uh, I've been in the. I've been a coach's kid. I've been a coach. I mean, I've been in every position in the game, except I've oh, I actually officiated. So yeah. Oh yeah, and I've kept score. I, I've, I've done a scoreboard. I, I've, I think I've, I've literally done everything. I've been a towel boy. <laughs> you know, I have not taped an ankle yet.
1: Oh, I have. I have. Okay. I don't think I've ever refereed a basketball game. I, I've definitely been an umpire for baseball, but. Izzo last night, he said, I was mad at Cassius, and he was mad at me, and I was mad at Draymond, and I was mad at Mateen, and I was mad at a lot of people. You you know, being mad is sometimes what it takes to get people to play at a different level, uh, and especially in this case. I, I think I think it, it speaks to uh, what you said earlier, the family, the fact that they all have a shared goal, and it's no surprise that Michigan State, just about always, without fail, no matter what happens before February, coming into the tournament, they are hot, and coming in... and. and more often than not, they are outperforming their seed line unless they are already coming in with a seed line that's super high. Yeah, right. Like that. That's that's what we know about. They're an Michigan interesting State. team. Uh, yeah, and I did want to talk a little bit
0: about Michigan State because I do think they're playing great basketball right now, uh, and it's, it's they very It's Maryland. very Michigan State-ish. <laughs> you know, it's physical, tough, and they're they're, they're turning into a Tom Izzo team, mm-hmm. and. Um, But it's weird because didn't they come into the season like a lot of people had them number one preseason number one. So it's kind of odd. Then they and then everyone wrote them off, and now they're coming back. Well, I mean, you know, and and it's very interesting to me just to see that phenomena.
1: Well, I mean, we haven't spoken about it in a while, but but it it did come up last night in the context of you know Izzo and Cassius Winston. But obviously, the impact of you know Cassius Winston's brother committed suicide—a tragic moment for the uh, Winston family and obviously for Michigan State. Generally speaking. You know, we haven't spoken about that and that impact on the leader of the team, you know, best player, uh, you know, that can't be overstated, I don't think. Uh, and, I mean, it speaks to um, the kind of person that, that Cassius Winston is, the kind of leader that he is, that he is still leading this team. And, yeah. um like you said, I mean, this is a Michigan State basketball team right now. Yeah,
0: it sure looks like it, um, except for the uniforms. <laughs> they They, are they weird. throw me off a wait, little bit. Wait, wait, wait.
1: Can we talk about that? That's a
0: bad uniform. With that, I don't like that it. That terrible line. My, my girlfriend didn't like it. She saw oh, them the that's other day. a disaster. She's got good fashion style, too. But anyway, I one last thought on the um, the yelling and, and the coaching dynamic. Mm-hmm. Um, a team that that has this context of, a, you, you, I think you use the phrase, a shared goal. Mm-hmm. um great term you know Michigan State has that it's a great program Izzo's been around they have an identity they have a shared purpose and then you, within that many coach players differently so you didn't see Aaron Henry yelling back at Izzo did you because he don't have the status <laughs> he's not Cassius Winston Cassius Winston as a position on the team where he can go back and forth with the coach. So you're just going to have different dynamics. Again, I'm not I, – I would prefer a coach and never touch a player. Um, but – and the team is okay with players being coached differently. Um, for example, I was – like when I played, I was, I was just such a red liner. I was like like so on the edge. I didn't do really well getting yelled at by coach because I was going to yell right back at him, <laughs> you know. Because I was a point guard, and that's just where I was, my head. And, you know, I thought I knew everything, blah, blah, blah. And I'm sure there's similarities with Cassius as being a great player and being a point guard, and it's his team. So he almost feels like he's an assistant coach, you know, so they're going at it. But but the great teams and the great programs, uh, the players have an understanding that, you know, Coach might yell at you this time, and I might do the same thing, or someone might do the same thing over here, and he may not get yelled at. So that gets dicey. And if the players don't, if the coach doesn't have the trust of the players, then you have a problem. Mm-hmm. But I, I think it speaks to that in general. Izzo's doing a dang good job of that program, although he might, you know, do, he's not going to do everything perfect.
1: No. Absolutely not. Now, Jerry, I see. I see you uh, <laughs> touching your head, rolling up your sleeves. We have to turn off the air in this room so we can get good sound. Yeah, I'm getting so warm. So let's. I. I am absolutely sweating through my socks. So let's. So let's uh, get the last last quick segment. I'm going to run through this. Uh, who who can clinch conference tournaments this week? I've got it all right here, and you just hop in uh, whenever you got something okay. to say. All, all right. right, sounds good. So uh, notable conferences that are already won, as we mentioned earlier, Kentucky uh, clinched. They beat Auburn, so they got the sec gonzaga none, no games left in the west coast conference gonzaga won that their conference tournament starts tomorrow lock and load Dayton won the eight ten. They've got two day, two games left, including an interesting one tonight against Rhode Island. Their conference tournament is going to start next Tuesday. Now let's get into the ones that are up in the air because this is what's much much more interesting. We've got the AAC. We've got Houston at twelve and four. Tulsa at twelve and four tied in first, and then Cincinnati at twelve and five, just a half game behind. Now none of these three teams play each other uh, in the rest of the season, but. What's most interesting is Ken Palm projects a three-way tie, which would just be madness, and I love that, and I always, 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 no matter the sport, except for when it's involving my team, root for a tie. That's a teaser as well. ACC, well how are they going to break that tie? You know? I, I have no idea. I mean, at the end of the day— We're not, they, Are we doing rock, paper, scissors? Or, they all, they all get a share of the of the conference tournament. They all put up a banner. They well, well I, I mean for seating. I have the, no idea. Yeah. The seating less interesting to me. It's all about the banners. Um, really? All, yeah. I'm the opposite. All well, because— I think I think winning a conference regular season conference title is the easiest way to show that you have staying power that what you've done is real. I feel like it's much easier to get into the tournament and make a run than over the course of twenty eighteen games in your conference consistently beat good teams and establish yourself. So that's yeah, they're both important. I mean, banners I mean, are yeah, important. Obviously. I don't usually look at them, but if I'm scouting and in a
0: gym and I'm bored, I'll start <laughs> reading the banners. But well, I, I, I was looking at it more like if I'm the coach or a player, like oh yeah, I, 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 I you know a banner's a banner. Well, think about these; co- they they vacate their seasons. You know, certain programs like happened with something it, wrong, right? But who cares? I think that's the dumbest punishment. Does any fan care? No. Just because the press guide, you know, it has a different
1: record. You know, you kind of know what you did. But anyway, all right, keep rolling. ACC, they've got four teams. Last week we said it was only three. Well, all of a sudden, Virginia's creeping in. So we've got Louisville, 15 and four. Florida State, now not in first place, 14 and four. Duke, 14 and five. And Virginia, 13 and five. Unfortunately, there's only one head to head matchup of all these teams, and that's uh, Virginia at Louisville on Saturday. That's a mess. I. I continue to be baffled by the fact that virginia is somehow continuing i mean they're going to make the tournament and their offense is like outside the top 200 in the country makes no sense they can beat anyone on any given night and i'm going to expect them to lose to everyone on every any given night keep track of the acc too many games to to list out the exciting ones pac-12 what a mess ucla i mean wow 12 and 5 in the conference despite uh, starting with 7 and rec- 7 and 6 record out of conference and starting their entire season 8 and 9 Wow. They would clinch a share of the Pac-12 title with a win at USC on Saturday. And Oregon is right behind them just a half game out, 11 and 5. Magic number for a share is 2. So if they win out and UCLA loses, they would win. Oregon would win the Pac-12 outright. Go 1 and 1 and UCLA loses, win a, a share along with UCLA. Or if they go 1 and 1 and UCLA wins, get nothing. Technically Arizona State is in the mix at 10 and 6, but that's a long shot. Here's uh, I think the most interesting one. Big East, uh, I don't know. There, there are a lot of interesting ones. Watch a lot of college basketball this week, guys. College basketball, fundamentally well, I tell fun.
0: you, the game tonight's Seton Hall-Villanova. That's the one. I mean, I don't know what it means number-wise, but it's, as it's, far as watching good basketball, to me, that's a game no
1: one needs to miss. The, and, then, and then you need to watch Dayton. The big, because Dayton, Dayton is a fantastic team. The Big East has probably the most interesting games left because there are three teams involved. Seton Hall, Creighton, and Villanova. They're the only teams who could win. Seton Hall is thirteen and five, um, yeah, thirteen and three. But Creighton and and Villanova are just two games back at eleven and five. Two games left. Seton Hall needs just one win, but they're playing both Villanova and Creighton. Those are games you can't miss. And then Creighton and Villanova play each other. And then they both also play Georgetown. It's a, it's a mess. Everything feels really self-contained among these three teams, and then Georgetown just kind of thrown in there. Watch as much beast basketball at the top as you can this week. So that's wild. Big 12. It's just Kansas and Baylor. They're separated by half a game. Uh, with one one game left for Baylor, two games left for Kansas. It looks all but locked up. That Kansas is going to get at least a share of the conference title again. Really good for them to get back on that.
0: Well, and. Baylor, Kansas, they've only played once this year, right? No, 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 they split. They split. Okay, thank you. I needed that. I did not recall what happened Mm -hmm. in the first matchup if they had it. And, yeah, I guess that's a conference where everyone plays each other twice.
1: Yeah. And then, lastly, we've got the Big Ten with my Maryland Terrapins just being a disaster, tire fire, really returning to the uh, doom and gloom Terps that I know and lo- hate, love, um, love hate. Not sure what the order is. Doesn't matter. Right now, it's wild. Michigan State and Maryland are tied 13 and six, with half a game behind Wisconsin and Illinois, and we could have a four-game tie, uh, four-way tie. Uh, and that would just be absolute madness. I don't know. I don't know how to process this. All I know is that there's a lot of meaningful basketball left in the big 10. Um, Jerry, you got any thoughts on Maryland before we get out of here? Cause all of mine are very sad. All of mine are very, very sad.
0: I think they're pretty good. Uh, I, th- I think you got a good point guard. He has leadership abilities and, and he, he makes tough
1: shots. That is definitely true.
0: I like Sticks. um, Sticks is a
1: beast. He's a good player. You're giving me hope, Jerry. But for now, uh, that's going to do it for this week's episode of the uh, 24-7 Sports College Basketball Show. If you're going to be at the SEC Championship Conference uh, Tournament, hit us up. Hit us up on Twitter. Love to meet you. Love to talk college basketball. And until until Selection Sunday, I'm Tony Levitt signing off for uh, Jerry Meyer. This is the 24-7 Sports College Basketball Show.